When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, hello there, and welcome to WTA Weekly. What a week it's been, I'll tell you that. Um, not the final I think any of us are expecting, but I think we've got good, a good deal out of it. Um, I am joined today by the wonderful Bianca. Bianca, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, how are you? All good, all good, all ready to, to talk about my... Uh, favourite tour and what has been a very, very good day for WTA Tennis. We have a result. It has come in sort of the last sort of half hour or so. Jasmine Paolini is a WTA 1000 champion. Bianca, how does that sound? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's the craziest sounding WTA 1000 champion by a long shot. I feel like she's put in a lot of work over the last like year or six months. So yeah, I don't know. Sounds good. Hopefully she can build on it. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think she, she's she got a good chance. I think, isn't she about the same age Camilla Georgie was when she won her 1,000 back in 2021? Let me look at how old Georgie how is. How old is Paulini? I don't even know. 28. Paulini's 28. So Ooh. I think George, Georgie was 29. Yeah, like Paulini. Yeah, she's 28. She was born on the 4th of January, 1996. So... Yeah, year younger than Georgie when she won her 1,000 title. Um, some people would say she was a crazier name, although she was a Grand Slam quarterfinalist by that point. Um, so, 
you know, Italian tennis seems to have uh, champions on uh, both tours now. Yeah. yeah, Italian tennis is rising up. Indeed. Let's well, let's talk about um, Paris' run, but let, let's let's start with the final. Work backwards, I think. Um, Paris wins four six seven five seven five. Kind of stealing the set two and set three, uh, and really, but really that that final was so good. The rally quality from both was great. It was there was um, it wasn't big hitting, but it wasn't pushing. It was that sort of nice medium that was still great to watch, um, margin but with power, um, and the rally tolerance for both was pretty impressive for most of the match. I would say. Um, it was a really, really good watch, and again, once again, testament of to the the depth of quality in the WTA tour that you can have two players outside the top twenty meet in yeah. one of the biggest finals of the year, and it be really, really good. Hmm. And they definitely both. I w- I would say obviously Kalinskaya defeated Iga on the way there, but Paulini she also had like a pretty tough run herself so for both of them to get there in the final and still be producing like really good quality it's, it's good to see yeah absolutely so um let's talk about it a little bit um i guess where would you say the the final was won and lost for mm, well i i watched the first set i didn't watch the second set and then i watched the third set so i'm don't know if something right. changed in the second set. I watched the third set, so we're about similar. Um, but when Kalinskaya was serving for it, in Iga's match, the same thing happened. She lost serve serving for the match, but she had a double break, so she was able to get it over the line. So when that happened, I was like, maybe it was like just closing it out nerves in the end for her. Um and Paulini was able to capitalize on that. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think Eager almost capitalized on it because Eager went to straight to break point the second time Callum Sky served for the match at 5-4 in that semi-final. And I think it was only because Eager got a little bit too trigger happy on mm-hmm. her returns. Um, it was almost like she started to get tight as well that Callum Sky was able to um, close that semi-final out. Otherwise, I think if she'd been broken, Eager could have probably pulled up a comeback, mm-hmm. depending on how much energy she had in the tank. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. The The last three games is where it all kind of went wrong for Callum Sky, because up to that point, she was looking really, really good. and But she was visibly tight in those sort of final three games. Um, so... Uh, uh, well, definitely the one she was serving in. She tried to make a five in Paulini's service game at five all. But yeah, and then um, pretty quick last game. Like it was, I think it was 40 love for, or love 40 for Paulini. And then it just, <laughs> she she capitalized on it at the first point, the first match point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because Paolini, it was clear she was a fighter. That semi-final mm-hmm. she had against Castella was so good. 
um, for her. Like she, she had match point. Castella saved it as she done with her previous two matches this week. And I thought, oh, here we go again. And then Paulini fends off. Was it five set points in that second set? Five or six set points, yeah. Six, and then wins it on her second match point in the tiebreak. Uh, and I think someone who's done that, who's got that grit to hold in and on and dig in, was going to be super hard for for anyone to beat, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the furthest either of them have gone in previous one thousand tournaments before. Uh, Paulini, I know it wasn't very far. I had her stats up earlier. Um, she, um, Callan I don't think she's got like that. So her previous best was the third round of Indian Wells in 21 and 22, um, for Paulini. Um, Callan uh, I mean, to be honest, Paulini only made the second week of a slam for the first time this year in Australia. So... Um, it's not like no, if you if you, it's not like they've gone super deep in big events before. Let's have a look. So, um, Karen Skyer, yeah, she again, same thing, second week of a slam, first time past the second week, uh, second round in Australia. Um, Karen Skyer has been to a quarter final of a 1000 before, she made the quarterfinals of the 2022 uh Guadalajara Open. Uh, where she lost to Marie Buskova, or she retired against Marie Buskova uh, in that match. So um, that was... Uh, so I'd say yeah, Karen Skyer maybe had the slightly healthier record when it comes to 1,000s. And also, let's face it, she was probably favoured due to her... Um, due to her uh, run against... You know, beating three top 10 players, Ostapenko. <laughs> off Sviantek and from watching much of that third set she looked like she had the upper hand mm -hmm. for much of it um it was difficult to see her getting broken without her breaking herself yeah yeah it, it's it's hard to say who deserved to win the final but to beat <laughs> three top 10 players in a row I feel like it kind of sucks that you're not walking away with the with the title do you want to say that to Leila Fernandez <laughs> Oh, I'm saying this as a Layla fan, by the way, because that's yeah. Um, but yeah, that still stings a little bit that it had to be against Emma. Yeah, she had to be the one to play Emma. Unfortunately, um, so yeah, she's so yeah, um, so yeah, I think clearly, um, Paulini, um, yeah, Can Sky had the run, um, no doubt about it. Uh, but she uh, probably, uh, but yeah, I think Paulini might be might be overlooking her a little bit, uh, to be honest. Because like, how did she, how did she do? She beat well. She got benefited from a walkover against Rebecca oh, in the quarters. Yeah. I think that was the thing that really unlocked it. We talked about her win over um, Castella. Um, she beat Zachary in straights. She beat Fernandez. Speaking of in straights, mm -hmm. and she beat. Had Admire in three. So, yeah. So, actually, she had a tough run herself. It's just mm -hmm. that the ranking of her opponents wasn't quite the same. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I, how, how long have you, have you been following any of Pauli's career? Because she kind of, 
she came to my attention at the actually at the 2021 US Open. There's a lot of parallels between this tournament and that 2021 US Open, uh, where we have two kind of outsiders in a big final producing a really good quality match, having both fought through the draw in spectacular ways and in different fashion. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Emma coming through qualifying, Layla beating a lot of top 10 players. Um, but in this case, sort of similar kind of runs for both. Um, and we're running back. But yeah, Paolini, 2021 US Open, she had a tough match with Azarenka that she lost in the second round, but she made it really competitive, even though it was straight sets. And that's where she first came on the radar uh, for me. Um, I don't know whether she's someone that you've kind of been following on and off. Not really. The most I like keep up with her is like um, her on Team Italy and like the Billie Jean King Cup and like United Cup kind of that's more where I feel like I'm seeing her like the stuff she does for Team Italy. Like, I really haven't followed her that much until this tournament. But yeah, I feel like players that are older not really um kind of get overlooked after a certain point and results haven't come but like i feel like we've seen especially this year like age is really just a number so 28 her being able to like get this she's definitely someone i'm going to be watching from now on yeah and as she's another she's kind of a scrappy player she's actually not too dissimilar to fernandez actually in that like she's on the shorter side height wise but packs a surprising punch. Um, her counter-punching ability is really, really strong. Um, very dynamic player, um, which is kind of what you, I guess what you have to be when you're kind of that height. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literally, you have to scrap for everything because you could get served right off the court or pushed around. I mean, how tall are you, Bianca? I'm 5'9", so I don't know. Okay. Little taller. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, on the on the tall side, I, I, that would make sense actually. So you could make that you'd be raining down the aces. <laughs> it's definitely my go-to when I was like, okay, back against the wall. Let's just try whip out a good down, good few down the t serves and just get out this game. Um, whereas I think Paulini just went with, yeah, I just hit the massive inside out forehand. That should do the job. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's the that's the final. I think we've kind of wrapped up um, everything to do with the winners. Obviously, very excited with these these two players. I mean, are we? How positive are you about their uh, their prospects? Sort of to maintain these. Maybe I, I I don't think consistency is something we can necessarily expect because it's the WTA, um, and I mean that in a good way. Um, there's a lot of other people at similar level kind of competing in there, but. Um, how confident are you that we're going to be seeing Paolini and Kalinskaya at this stage um, again? Um, we'll see. I don't know about both of them in how many major finals, thousand finals they'll be making, but it's not like they came out of like the woodwork. Like th these are names that we've seen around before. Like I found it funny that so many of these, um, like the WTA page, were running with oh a qualifier is into the quarterfinals and the qualifier is Kalinskaya. I'm like. We're making it seem like she's completely unknown. Um, but yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be shocking if they had like a 
a fourth round appearance at a Grand Slam this year. I mean, they already have. They played each other in the fourth round of the Australian Open. Yes, they did. <laughs> Job done. Tick. Yeah, done. Let's go. Let's go set the beach for the rest of the year. See you in Australia. No, maybe not. Um, I think they're too competitive for that. I think the main concern would be for Callum Skyer, given she kind of fits into uh, the 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 kind of what some people would call a glass cannon um, kind of stereotype. Someone like a Mukova who very very talented has a has a strong peak form but really depends on how the body holds up yeah speaking of poor mukova she's had to have an, another surgery on her wrist oh, <laughs> like when will it end like what what does this woman do to catch a break I mean, like she caught a break a little bit last year quite a bit mm -hmm. last year and she and she we saw the break that she caught what she was able to do with it and it's just been like cascading injuries once again i know this is a slight tangent but you know i'm gonna make a, a bit of a statement here and say how much you uh, how much you agree with it but i think out of the people on tour who haven't won a slam look has come the closest yeah well yeah definitely she was she was almost there at the french yeah four three up with a break yeah i don't think anyone else on tour who has been in the Grand Slam final, has been up a break. No, I don't think Jibber came as close um, as her. When she yeah, started, she Jibber was had more opportunities. Herself. Yeah. So it depends on how you define it. But Mukova has made more of her opportunities that she's got. Maybe. Um, but it depends on how you define it, right? Some people would say, no, it is Ons because she made more finals. But yeah, I'm, I, I think you and I are in the same category, but Mukova was closest to winning when she did make it. So yeah, well, speaking of um, that French Open final, that French Open final was won by Iga Sviantek, who did not win this tournament to a lot of people's surprise, including maybe herself, given how she reacted at the end of that semi-final loss to Kalinskaya. Let's hear what she had to say. I didn't play my tennis tonight, um, but on the other hand, I was there to win it, you know, so uh, for sure I didn't, didn't, you know, live up to my standard as, um, as I usually do. So I'm not happy, but on the other hand, like these two weeks were so intense that you just have to look forward and it doesn't matter now. So, Bianca, give us your thoughts on what Iga had to say there. Well, this just proves how much of a champion mentality she has. She's fresh off of another 1,000, and she she played well, I think. It was just obviously at the end that, again, like you said, like trigger happy. I don't think it's anything to, like, freak out about, like, back to the drawing board type thing. Like, I thought she was playing pretty well, but, of course when you have that champion's mentality, you're not satisfied with anything but the trophy. So maybe a little bit of frustrated words from her there. Like, but I, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was fine. She definitely didn't produce the level that she knows she's capable of, mm -hmm. but you're right. She did play pretty well. I mean, like, okay, 18 on false errors in the match. That's not, that's not good, but it's not horrific. Yeah. Um, 
you know, that's, um, you know, she still was in the second set. She was very much in the first. It was a real fight. She just didn't produce the level needed to win that match. Um, she did go off the boil in the middle of it. Um, and that's probably talking about where the fatigue comes in that she was talking about. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the time, Iga's level, even when she's not having a good day, is enough to win most matches she plays. Mm -hmm. So I think she's frustrated that she wasn't high enough to win this match. Yeah. Like usually an off day, instead of six love, six one, it's six four, six four. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like an off day for Iga. Yeah. I, I think the only time I've ever seen her lose double, double breaks was when she was ill against Krajikova in the final last year. Um, no, it was Rebakina, Indian Wells. And again, she wasn't well. She was injured for that. So um, not not great. I mean, here's here's something I wanted to, to kind of bring up because obviously this, the, this loss has created, as things sometimes do, a lot of online discussion. So I think it's probably a good thing to dive into this and look at, yeah, we are both of the opinion that Eager played pretty well and produced a very strong level for a professional tennis player in that match. Um, but whenever she loses, there's always a discussion of either, she, oh, she's not that good because she lost to someone outside the top 30, or she only, um, she only, um, it goes to the other extreme of, she only loses um, when she plays badly, if that makes any sense. Like, um, she has no hope when she's playing badly, which, uh, yeah, I know I have thoughts on that, but I'm going to stop talking. Do you want to wade in on this? Yeah, I feel like this is such a common theme to do to players if they have one, like, off day or they're not winning to just start immediately, like, <laughs> putting out think pieces of how you know, horrible they're playing or how they, they don't have any problem-solving skills when they're not playing their best. But I don't know. I I think it's it's a weird narrative to, to spin. I've got a couple of questions I think I think is worth discussing because I think people will be interested in seeing what we think about this. So here's the first one. Um, and this is one I actually posed on Twitter. I think I'm still waiting for the results of that poll. Um, which... Uh, do you think that every, every match Eager plays is on her racket? Sometimes it definitely looks that way. Um, but, like, no, I <laughs> I don't think it's possible for every match to be on her racket. I wouldn't say when she plays Ostapenko, any of those matches are on her racket. <laughs> yeah, and that seems to be the consensus from people who are actually replying to me. Well, we, I've had a, discussions with a couple of big-name Eager fans about it. Um, a couple of other people kind of wading in who maybe weren't necessarily fans. Um, yeah, in matchups with the top players and Ostapenko, it's not. Um, but the question then is, is she, is the match on her racket when she plays literally anyone else? Hmm. And that seems to be what some eager fans believe. Gosh, it definitely feels like that some way. I mean, sometimes like just her presence alone, like, oh my gosh, you've drawn you're playing like world number one Iga Shiontek this that and the third and when she's hitting when she's on and she's like dominating a point it kind of feels like the opponent has no chance even if maybe their skills are 
like well enough to defeat a player like Iga, I think it's like everything adding it in. Maybe it makes it seem like these matches are on her racket always. So when she does have losses, everyone's like taken aback. Yeah. Um, I guess then that leads us on to the next, the follow-up question, um, which is, is it reasonable to expect that the top four, I'm going to widen this a little bit, but mainly for, but like with an emphasis on eager, because that's obviously where, who started this conversation. Is it reasonable to expect that the current top four, Iga, Arena, Elena, Coco, should only be losing to each other? I mean, if, I mean, mostly only losing to each other, like if they're losing frequently to a lot of lower ranked players, then that's like, can raise some questions there. But like the tight matches where they're both playing like really well, I feel like their head-to-heads should be pretty equal with each other. Like the Coco Iga head-to-head is like a little <laughs> concerning, but we've seen all of them play each other and beat each other. It just depends on like the surface or the altitude or whatever. But yeah, I think the majority of their like close losses should should be to each other. Like losing when they're playing well, just because their levels are so equally matched. Okay, so it's like when they're playing well, yes, but if they're having an off day, but then again, it depends like then if you're a top player, how often should you have an off day? Yeah. And I think everyone's answer to that question is going to be different. Mm. Um, yeah, because I've been, I've been kind of, something I'm kind of working on to see if I can get a piece out of it at all is um, charting sort of other big name players and how often they lost and who too, um, and like Serena, when she was at her peak, was only really losing, not necessarily three or four matches a year, but three or four opponents a year, mm-hmm. um, usually. Um, and if that's the, but the thing is, only about 10 women in history were consistently able to do that and play at that level. Whereas most of the time it's kind of in the five to 10 mark for like your, Davenport's, Sharapovas, um, Sanchez Vicario. Um, so uh, it kind of, who are all still great players. They're just not necessarily GOAT players. So it's it's kind of what you measure with. If you expect, if you're num- so your number one to be the GOAT for the era, or for GOAT best of the era and be that level of dominant, then anything they do is gonna disappoint you. Um, and yeah, this is where I think this is where I'm at at the minute with it is uh, I don't think every match is on Eager's racket um, for the reasons you said, but also I think it does massively discredit the quality of the competition because the the fact is is that the best players in the world produce the best level at the, uh, the elite level tennis consistently week on week on week but everyone who's ranked in the top 50 maybe even the top 100 but i'd say definitely top 50 has their level in them to do it 
every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because they don't have a single digit number after their name doesn't mean that they don't, they aren't um, amazing. So uh, I think it does sometimes discredit. So sometimes an opponent just has an incredible day and no one is beating them, not even the world number one. And uh, this expectation that it has to be the top four lockout every single time and they're only allowed to lose to each other is not only placing too high an expectation on the elite players, but also not giving enough credit to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people will see a scoreline like someone's like, say a world number three got beat by world number 100 and like, oh, they suck, whatever. But then if you go and watch the match, like the world number 100 was playing lights out in a complete purple patch. Nothing that the other opponent could do doesn't mean they're awful, doesn't mean, oh, how did they lose to this person? It's all about perspective. I mean, not an RBTA match. The first match I can think of there is um, Nadal versus Rossol, Wimbledon 2012. Yeah, Nadal was injured. Rossol was playing lights out tennis <laughs> that day. It was madness. Um, WTA obviously happens um, a little bit more frequently. Um, but yeah, okay, even Iga's loss to uh, Noshkova yeah. in uh, the AO. At, Rebecca losing to Blinkova. Um, Blinkova played incredible tennis the first set. She won that set. I don't think Rebecca was playing badly in the first set. The third set was a mess um, <laughs> from both. But the, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're right. There's the, you know, if you watch it, if you watch what happened. And that's what we kind of, um, I agree with you, Sean, uh, saying people underrating top 100 players in general. Where... I think it's like the Kalaskaya match, like when we were talking about it, it was all like the, a lot of eager fans kind of went down the route of, oh, she lost because she played badly. Um, And it made it all about eager and it being like the errors cost her. Maybe they did. But the thing is, Kalaskaya was hitting big, not biggest, as I said before, but really strong, consistent ground strokes on a fast court, which will rush eager on the forehand anyway, and wasn't going away. And I was watching Callan Skies Love and going, oh, she's taking it to her. She's not backing down. I think if it was a different player, different story, different. If she was having the kind of day she had against Paulini today, different story. So, um, yeah, I completely agree. It doesn't leave room for that person to to have an amazing day and actually give credit to someone yeah. winning which is why I'd rather talk about the person who won than the person who lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another match I, that reminds me kind of of that narrative is Rome when Fabian Marjan beat Alcaraz. I feel like everyone was like, what was wrong with him? Like, was he injured? What happened? And it's like, I think Marjan was just playing like <laughs> better than him. Yeah. Anyone's got that mm-hmm. um, world beating level in them. And maybe it only happens one day of their life, but they'll take that day. Yeah. Yeah. I think I may have to go off my soapbox now, but <laughs> I needed to get this off my chest. <laughs> this is this is the discussion we're having, and I think we're framing it wrong. Um, but I suppose we've talked a lot about Eager's loss. Let's talk about the other top four, because let's face it, we are 
whilst it's not, we're talk, going on about saying it's not fair to expect the top four to only lose to each other, for us to be in a big four type situation, mm. it is probably fair to say that the top four didn't really show up in Dubai. Um, I mean, Eager got to the semis, ran out of gas. Coco, patchy. Good win over Pleshkova. Probably could have got a job going against Kalinskaya. I didn't watch the match, so hard to say. Um, Rabakina was ill, but probably running low on gas anyway, given uh, given she'd played two solid weeks of tennis, which I think was probably the real reason she retired. And Sabalenka. Look, she... <laughs> She got a new set of teeth. She wasn't ready to to play again. <laughs> Do you play tennis with your mouth? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Um, she, she, we know she can be up and down. So, but I didn't even watch the match. Like I was like, okay, she's in the tournament, and then no, she's not. Which is more surprising? The Ostapenko winning head-to-head over Iga or the Vekic winning head-to-head over Arena? Mm, the Ostapenko one still. Most the most nice. shocking head-to-head over Sabalenka is Diana Yastremska. Still. What's the head-to-head? Three love to Yastremska. No. Yes. Oh, no, I really wish that was the Australian Open final. Right, which is why I was like, the levels of drama that could be taking place during this final if it was the two of them. But I didn't I didn't want that <laughs> because of the head-to-head. Y'all know my Sabalink is one of my favorites. But, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy head-to-head. They are from years ago matches. So it's – I don't know if now it would end the same way. But, yeah, three love. The Estramsky match. What about the Vekic one? What is the head-to-head? 6-2. Wow, I did not know it was that that wide. I thought it well, I thought it was 4-2. Okay. Um I, I, I believe it's 6-2. Maybe someone can look that up, but um I believe um I believe I've heard it's six two in favor of Donna Vekic. Which is why I made the comment. I think I made a comment that like okay, slightly slightly humble brag here. I kind of called the chaos final. In a tweet, um, and uh, then replied to my own tweet with, "Don't be surprised if you see an Ostapenko versus Vekic final," um, which obviously didn't happen because of Callan Skyer and Vekic not being able to um, serve it out against Kostea. Oh, It's five two Vekic. Um, no, I still think the Ostapenko one is crazier because Iga has not been able to get a win. Like clearly, Sabalenka has the tools potentially to defeat Donna Vekic. We just, I, I need to see Iga against Ostapenko again because I want to see if she's able to to, to get the win. Yeah, I, I think she should be able to. It mm. just depends on the circumstance of the day and yeah. how much, I mean, she's probably she's probably been training for this. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think- When Ostapenko plays her, all of a sudden she's not doing any more unforced errors. <laughs> yeah, that's, if Ostapenko stops doing unforced errors, no one's beating her. We should- Literally. Um, but yeah, I think on the um, people are saying that maybe the 5 2 on the screen doesn't include the match that just happened. Mm. Oh, probably not. So, six, two, yeah, but 5 2 6 2 is much of a muchness. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of got my hopes up for Vekic because she's someone I've kind of been rooting for to get, 
get a result because she's on the list of people that I am surprised hasn't won five consecutive matches at the highest possible level, that being 500 and up. Um, obviously, she's won 250s before, but yeah, she's kind of in the same, it, it, similar players in my mind, Aya Tomjanovic, um, Katarina Siniakova. Um, like, it's surprising to me that we haven't seen Vekic in a semi-final or a final of a thousand, Grand Slam semi-final, winning a 500. That that there's, she's been one match short a few times, so I really thought this was an opportunity for her. But again, Castella was refusing to lose for a lot this week. Yeah, she's someone that she sometimes she'll be nowhere to be found, and then she's just playing absolutely unbelievably. Yeah. Um, did you know that um, Castella had been into a one thousand final before? Before she's she has been, she's reached. No, she's she, she's only reached one in her career, Castella. Oh, oh yes. Oh, was yeah. it in Canada? Canada, twenty thirteen. Yeah, she lost to Serena. Oh. Um, but she storms through that draw. She, she, I think, she beat a couple of top players in that run. But so it looked like she was doing something similar because she got herself into a really good position by, uh, again, Vekic served for the match in the deciding set, and then. Uh, I think, I don't know if um, Kostella saved match points in that one. I don't think she did. She definitely saved match points against Marketa von Drusheva, who was looking <laughs> like she might be back. And then whatever just ha whatever happened in that match happened. Yeah, I saw a stat that said uh, Marketa von Drusheva has not reached a semifinal since Wimbledon. Von Drusheva? Von Drusheva, yeah has not reached a semifinal since Wimbledon. Um, but she doesn't get treated the same as Emirata Kanu does. Maybe it's because it's been years since the um, US Open, but I would say she's not, um, the results haven't come immediately afterwards, but it's, again, it's... I guess with Von Drusheva, here's what she's got going for. First of all, she has reached quarterfinals since. Mm -hmm. In, in in a few months, I think about three 1,000 events now. Secondly, she does have an Olympic silver medal and another Grand Slam final against her name. Um, and she's a bit older than Emma. So whereas Emma kind of came out the blocks running and everyone thought this was the, the next big star of tennis, whereas nobody really said that about Von Drusheva. It was kind of more of a, a realisation of potential. Whereas Emma's set the bar really high yeah right out the gate and then i struggle to live up to that so i think that's maybe why the difference is there but yeah von drusheva continues to not have the best start to 2024 and suddenly that top 10 place is going to look very very vulnerable come wimbledon mm -hmm. but watch her go back to back at wimbledon <laughs> <laughs> but she's good. she could i i i you know, I'm planning my Wimbledon trip this year and like, you know, planning on going with my mum and we're like, oh, who do you think we're going to see? And we're like, well, if we go on Tuesday, we know the first match on Centre Court is going to involve Marketa von Drusheva, which I cannot get my head around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so yeah. So but that's that's kind of it. Um. Okay, so we've, we've talked about Irina. Clearly needs to settle into her new teeth. Um, which... The urge to do a Doctor Who reference is 
being restrained right now. Um, that's weird. Um, so uh, I think the other top four members, let's talk about Coco. Um, can, are we in a worry stage with her? She, she That Siniak of a lot in Doha wasn't great. She then picks it back up here. I thought her comeback against Pluchkova, given what happened in that match, not losing her head too much um, with that ridiculous call was really, really good. Um, I didn't see her match against Cannon Sky, so I don't know what happened there because Cannon Sky looked injured, but maybe Cannon Sky was doing Cannon Sky things and peaked really high and no one could live with it. I don't know, but is without the context of the match, it's difficult to make a judge an exact judgment, but is is there gonna be um alarm bells for Coco? Um no, definitely not alarm bells for me personally. I mean she has already made the semifinal of another slam after winning her first one. I feel like I'll be interested to see how she plays in America. I feel like she usually does pretty well on home soil. So coming up like Indian Wells, Miami, if the results still aren't like great there, or if there's some like concerning losses, maybe we can revisit that, but I don't think it's time for alarm bells for Coco yet. No, I, Indian Wells should suit her, right? I think I predicted to win Indian Wells once before. Um, I feel like that's a tournament that she should do well at. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, Elena, probably frustrated that she didn't, she couldn't finish the tournament because this was probably a big opportunity. Yeah. She needs to start drinking some herbal tea or something. I feel like this is not the first like stomach issue that she's had. French Open, I think. Yeah. So a few players had that in French Open. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she's going to be defending Indian Wells. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, I was thinking about this um, earlier. I was like, you know, if I was going to do a prediction for Indian Wells and it's hard because the data for the, the modern era is very limited to 22 and 23 because there was no Indian Wells in March in 21 and no Indian Wells at all in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of predicting who's going to win it, you kind of have to like, it's, it's usually someone who does well in who's performed strongly in Australia, which by that logic, it should be Arena who's the favourite. Yeah. yeah. Indian Wells is a long way off, but yeah, unfortunate. I mean... Um, also, but like, I, I don't know. It depends. I'm wondering, because like Eager's pulled out before with a, a similar issue and she was absolutely fine. It was just a code for not being able to finish the tournament. She did that in bad Hamburg last year. And um, I'm just wondering whether this might have been something similar for Elena, not wanting to push herself too hard for three consecutive weeks. Um so I don't know, was this, uh, how how have you found these uh, this first year of a back-to-back -back Middle East 1000 as opposed to a 500 followed by a thousand as this has usually been? Um, well, it's, it's exciting. It's like two big tournaments back-to-back. -back. I feel like I'm definitely more tuned in. Usually I'm tuned right out after the Australian Open until Indian Wells, but 
yeah, it's been interesting. And we got, you know, ego winning one, which felt like from day one that was going to happen. And then, you know, interesting new winner in the next one. So it's, it's not nice. I like the two back to back 1000s. It's certainly a lot of fun to engage with as a fan. Yeah. Um, again, it brings up questions of, is it sustainable for the players? Um, I think winning them back to back is going to be a very intense mm-hmm. physical challenge. Um, I think there's a reason why so few people have done that back to back. Not just these these events, but when we've had Madrid and Rome back to back, or mm-hmm. Canada Cincinnati back to back. I think it's always been a, a tremendous, tremendous physical feat to do that. Um, so that's the question around how much it should be encouraged. But in terms of giving me tennis content, I'm very, very. <laughs> we need a we need a quirky name for it, like the Sunshine Double. We need something for it. I, I I went with the Middle East Double, which I know isn't is a bit dull, but it was the only thing I think of. Maybe because it's Doha and Dubai, you should call it the d- d- Double. <laughs> <laughs> Just stutter. <laughs> the d- d- Double. Um, uh, Ashley, the winner, is asking who won Indian Wells last year for the ladies. It was Elena Rabakina. Um, hence Bianca's comment that she's not sure that she's going to be defending her title. Mm-hmm. Um, getting some great suggestions in the chat for the double. Sandstorm Sand double. Sandstorm double. Desert double. Desert double, yeah. And then if you add Indian Wells in there, you could do the desert triple. Mm. All right, well, speaking of, I mean, we're talking a lot about Indian Wells, but it's not Indian Wells yet. That's the problem. The um, uh, the uh, because we've got two tournaments in the US, so great for Bianca. It's all in your time zone. Um, oh, love it. Finally, or, uh, <laughs> or close to your time zone anyway. Um, we have a five hundred taking place in San Diego, a two fifty taking place in Austin. Um, I believe we have people um, covering one of those tournaments and. But I'm relying on my memory right now. It's gone a complete blank. So if anyone wants to remind me, have I remind me or correct me of what's going on there, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, San Diego will see the return of Jessica Pagula after a tough start to the season. She's going to be looking to be back on track as the top seed. You know, Isabel's going to be in San Diego. There you go. So hopefully she can give us some amazing Pagula content that we know that she always gives. Maybe just hand her a beer. That'll just solve everything. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, 500. So yeah, top seed is Jessica Pagula. Second seed is Beatrice Harold-Meyer. Third seed, Emma Navarro. I mean, she's already third seed in a 500. <laughs> that's um, Anastasia Pavlichenko was the fourth seed. Then Daniel Stromsko. Marta Kostjuk, Donna Vekic, and eighth seed. This makes me very happy to see this main player with a seed against them. Leila Fernandez is seeded. <laughs> uh, I wonder if this year will be her year. Um, I mean, year for what? <laughs> to make like, a comeback. Comeback. I mean, she's getting there. She's already looked. She's she's probably going to be seeded for the French in Wimbledon. Um. So if you mean it depends because like her year could be winning consistently or it could be 
winning a Grand Slam? <laughs> a thousand. I, I would be happy if she won a thousand. I mean, so would I. It would be so cool. Um, she's got Tatiana Maria in her first round, by the way, in uh, San Diego. Uh, which I think is a winnable match for her. I think, yeah, Maria has made a Wimbledon semi-final, but I think Fernandez should be able to hit through her. I mean, she's not a big hitter, but she's also, they're both counter punches. I think Leia's probably a little bit better at it. So a great opportunity for uh, Fernandez. Who else in the draw? Carolyn Wozniacki's got a wild card. She's playing Anna Blinkova in round one. Um, Yastramska's got a tough opening round against Caroline Dolhide, who is the um, uh, the yeah Guadalajara finalist. There, thank you. Um, Clara Towson is in the draw, um, and uh, Katie Bolter is playing Lesia Serenko in in the opening round. Winners play Hadad Maya. Um, yeah, so that's the player field. Kind of thoughts on people we should be keeping an eye on there. Um, well, Blinkova, I think. For sure, I'll be keeping an eye on Pagula. I mean, I feel like I feel like she should be at least getting to the semis or final of this tournament. She is the top seed. I feel like she needs a win right now, also for some confidence back. Yeah, she's got a good chance anyway. She's playing either a qualifier or Favara Katreva in her opener. She's got a bye in first round. Quarterfinals would be Vosniaki, Blinkova, Dolhide, or Yastremska. And then semis, probably Pavlyuchenkova, Kostyuk or Towson. So it's, those are quality players. It's not going to be an easy run. But you're right, she should have the edge over, over them. Does she have a new coach yet? Or is she? I haven't seen. Does she, I, does she drop David Witt? Oh, yeah, yeah, she has. I forgot about that. Yeah, there's been a lot of other coaching changes recently, and I get those all mixed up. Uh, you never know she might end up back with David Witt by the end of the year <laughs> very Holgerun style <laughs> I mean why not they've got a lot of success together yeah. uh, I guess you, I guess this is going to be the first tour in where she sees how she gets on without him yeah okay so yeah so Pagula probably going to be the main story to watch in San Diego and Isabel uh, will be there to bring us all the behind the scenes of it meanwhile there's also the 250 in Austin, the ATX Open. And actually, it's a pretty decent field for a 250. Number one seed is Victoria Azarenka. Number two seed is Angelina Kalanina. Three, Sloane Stevens. Four, Danielle Collins on her farewell tour. Um, also playing uh, Alina Abanassian, friend of the show. Diane Parry. Uh, Diane Parry. And, um, well, we don't have the rest of the draw out yet. That's the problem. Um, it's all pretty blank, even though we've kind of got a few people in qualies and um, so I'm not sure who else is playing but that's your uh that's your sort of top eight but not a bad lineup for in terms of seeds anyone kind of catching your your eye there or someone to keep an eye on um definitely Sloane Stevens I I feel like she's been building kind of in the last little while she's had some good matches not necessarily particularly deep runs but I want to see what she's going to do here Okay, so let's see what um, Stevens does. Collins as well on her uh, her farewell tour. Farewell she seems to. I don't know why I'm like not buying that it's a farewell tour. <laughs> I don't know what would convince her to go. I'll go on another year then. 
winning a slam or a thousand, especially at the end of the year, she'll be like, oh, wait. <laughs> it didn't convince Panetta when she decided to stop. Facts. <laughs> well, maybe that maybe that will actually convince her to stop completely because you end on a high. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's it. Don't need to prove anything else. And to be yeah. fair, she is, she's currently playing like she has nothing to prove. Mm-hmm. Um. By the way, uh, Kirit in the chat uh, for the live stream is saying that um, he's backing Emma Navarro to win the title in San Diego. Um, bold pick. Um, she's definitely rising up the ranks very quickly. Um, is that a step too far? Mm. Just looking at the field, maybe one step too far. Maybe we get a semi. Having a look at her draw now. Yeah, so Emma's got a bye and then she's playing either a qualifier or Katarina Siniakova in her opener. And then probably Layla in her quarterfinals. So yeah, it'd be a tough fight, especially if it's Layla. Okay, there we go. So we are all up to date with all things WTA. Uh, congratulations again to Jasmine Paolini for winning her first 1,000 title, second career WTA Tour title, um, thoroughly deserved, very exciting player and looking forward to seeing what else she does. But obviously we're all looking forward to uh, next week as well. So hope you enjoyed um, the the chat today. Um, if you did, please um, give us a like um, and follow us for more content like this um, or uh, even sort of give us a like or a follow on any podcast feeds you might be listening to us back on. Um, Great to see we've hit 6,000 subscribers um, overnight. Thank you all for coming and joining us on this journey. Hoping you're enjoying uh, talking tennis with us. Um, lots of great contributions in the live chat. So, yeah, always enjoy having um, all of you part of this. Um, keep an eye out for uh, any live streams that we've got coming up. So I know we're covering the Rio Open semifinals tonight. Um and probably also the final tomorrow, um, whoever that ends up being. Um, Bianca, what uh, what events are you going to be watching um, sort of tomorrow, today, tomorrow, and then in the, uh, the upcoming week? Ooh, probably the Rio Open final I will be watching. Um, yeah, I've not been the best tennis watcher as of late. As I said, I usually am in a slump after, after a Grand Slam, but... Um, yeah, I've I watched the thousands, so we'll see. Whatever's on. I usually just turn on my sports channel and I'll have like the multiple streams going and whichever one pulls me in, that's the one I'm watching. Well, we've got there's plenty of five hundred action because it's not just the WTA five hundred in San Diego where Isabel is, but we've also got the Dubai five hundred and Shrihari's covering that for us. Um obviously Daniel Medvedev top seat there. There's the Acapulco five hundred happening as well, although I probably won't be able to watch much of that because they never play in my time zone. Um but that's all the ATP stuff. I'll probably be mainly watching San Diego. Um, let's be honest. Um, Going to see what kind of happens there. Um, and I know that uh, Vantra will be watching quite a lot of that as well, given it's his own tournament. Um, so, yeah, but uh, keep an eye on all the content we've got coming from the other tournaments. And, of course, our weekly shows, ATP Weekly, will be coming to you in the next couple of days. And we will be back next week with more WTA Weekly, where we not only wrap up everything from San Diego and Austin, we start talking about the Sunshine Double because it's Indian Wells in just over a week. And Bianca's loving that. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, 
thanks everyone for joining. I hope, um, hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this episode. And uh, yeah, there's plenty more to come. I'll see you soon. But in the meantime, take care and keep talking tennis. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.